Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A spy that's been on the books for nearly a decade apparently is now lying to the FBI in regards to the Ukraine Hunter Biden story and the left once again trotting out the Russian disinformation line. But are they actually justified here? Biden is betting that the media is going to tell his student loan debt lie for him, and that's exactly what they did. Also, Federalist Paper number 13 goes under the microscope, and we talk about the case made by Alexander Hamilton to keep the union together so we won't spend so much money. Oh, what would he be saying about us now, right? Like, I can't even just do this with a straight face. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this, folks, is Critical Thinking. Welcome on into Critical Thinking on this wonderful Thursday. I hope each and every one of you are having a great day wherever you are watching this show, whether that's on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. That's rumble.com backslash critical thinking or over on X where you can follow me at The Coppin Show as well as on Facebook. If you're the Instagram type, you can go ahead and follow the show over there. It is at Critical Thinking Show. All of that being said, you wonderful, wonderful podcast listeners. I greatly appreciate you as well. So make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you are downloading. Make sure you are rating, reviewing, following, subscribing, whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that this show never is not seen in your feed. That being said, we have a ton to get into in this program, you and I, and none of, or the least of which is this idea that has come out. That, well, not an idea, the story that has come out that an FBI informant named Alexander Smirnov, who is a dual U.S. and Israeli citizen, is part of the, I believe it's the FD-1023 form that was being used as part of the Hunter Biden investigation. And the, the Biden crime family investigation is really what I call it because that's exactly what it is. But 
the Russian disinformation claim is now back because Alexander Smirnov is being accused by the FBI, the very people who, wait for this one, hired him, used him as a confidential human source, paid him gobs of money to gather foreign intelligence and to inform for them for the better part of a decade. Um, yeah, turns out, um, yeah, he kind of lied about um, information regarding Hunter Biden being paid uh, $5 million in a bribe. Now, he was being paid $50,000 a month by Burisma. That, that part of the story is 1,000% true. But apparently this is a lie. Apparently, Shmirnov has been meeting with Russian disinformation agents, if you will, Russian intelligence agents, um, feeding him information that they, that they probably wanted the American government to know. And we can go through all of those things another time. But what is the claim here? The claim is that Smirnov made claims about Hunter Biden that were not true all fed to him by Russia. So therefore, this is all Russian disinformation. The Biden crime family didn't take bribes. What are you talking about when it comes to China? What are you talking about? This is all Russian disinformation. Stop in your tracks. Hold up, wait a minute. The ever so bright, ever so smart socialist, hmm, Representative Jamie Raskin sums it up very nicely for the left's proposition on this um give me your thoughts about this i mean is there any rationale any justification for house republicans to continue their impeachment inquiry after the developments of this week is this now dead no it's time to fold up the circus um <laughs> and of course it's an all, it's all not just based on uh this explosive finding but on a whole series of similar findings i mean we got a letter from Rudy Giuliani's right-hand man, Lev Parnas, who basically said he was sent out to try to find dirt like this, and there was nothing there, and he has never seen anything to substantiate those original false allegations that have now just been established or presumably established by the FBI. Um, we saw it from Gordon Sondland, who testified in the first impeachment hearing. We heard it from the former president of Ukraine, Poroshenko. The Republican senators who investigated this in 2020 came back totally empty handed and said there was nothing there. So I, I'm afraid that our friends really should just fold up shop and say they acted in good faith. We'll be willing to uh, grant them a pass on that one, but it's over and we should stop wasting the taxpayers' money and stop wasting energy on this when there's so many other serious matters to be conducting oversight over with respect to the government or with respect to the country. I mean, we look at this um, terrible epidemic of gun violence taking place in the country. That's something we should be studying to see if we can do something about that. Um, so there are lots of things that I think would rightfully call upon our attention legislatively, but this one is... So... Are they right and justified in saying, hey, there's nothing there, there. You haven't proved anything. There's nothing proven about this, and we need to move forward. That's ultimately the question that we're really dealing with here. Here's the problem for the likes of the wackadoo Jamie Raskin. Um, 
there's a lot more to the story than just information from a 1023 form that may or may not have been corroborated. And by the way, we're going to talk about the uh, the FD 1023 form in just a moment. Because the issue for the GOP in trying to get out from under this story is this. It is true that what allegedly was Smirnoff's words, right, what he claimed about the Bidens was used in the FD-1023 form. That was part of Senator Chuck Grassley's release of previously classified information back in 2023. So they were using the FD-1023 as part of the claim that's being made about the Biden crime family. That's true. However, here's the bad news for the left, as if there's bad news for the team GOP. There's also bad news for the likes of Jamie Raskin. Smirnoff's allegations, all of it unverified because that is the point of the 1023 form. The FD 1023 form is a claim that is made by a confidential human source inside the FBI that is yet to have been verified, has not gone through the vetting process. They are not sure if this information is true or not, meaning it has not been thoroughly investigated to either be debunked or not. And it turns out the FBI hadn't debunked it or told us it was true yet. This claim. Okay? Here's the good news for the GOP's claims. This is only part of the story. There, this is far, far from the only piece of evidence that's in suggestion of corruption, in suggestion of bribery, delayed payments, the Biden crime family's existence. There's a super long trail of evidence from Hunter Biden's own verified laptop about Burisma. Tony Bobolinsky, his partner, has already testified in regards to what took place in Ukraine and in China. So, okay, throw this evidence out because it seems to be something that was fed falsely to an FBI informant. You see, this is the issue. What is being charged with this FBI informant is that that he was feeding known lies. Well, it turns out that he didn't know this to be a lie. He was told this by apparently confident or sources that he had and then was put onto a form, which is what you're supposed to do with all information you get for your confidential human sources. This is standard operating procedure for how you handle this within the FBI. Alexander Smirnov, while yes, being charged, but being charged in relation to other things, not just this, it turns out may have been attempting to play both sides. Here's, here's a thing for the left to consider. Have you ever considered that? Wait for this. This is the nature of spying and informants 
They're going to try to play both sides. They're going to tell lies to both sides. Yes, that's exactly the case. It is the job of the FBI to verify information, to make it true or false. It is also the, uh, the job of the House Oversight Committee and for people like Jamie Raskin to ask a critical question. Does this change any of the fundamental evidence in this case? Now, Jim Jordan has come out and said, no, it doesn't. This is a cursory. This is a amplification of other pieces of evidence that do exist. That, my friends, is the real problem here. I'm sorry to the left. This isn't the, oh, Russia hoax, Russia hoax, Russia hoax, Trump, Russia hoax, Trump tree that you want to actually be barking up. Because if I'm to believe the claims of the left here, that this is the end of it, wash your hands, Hunter Biden's laptop doesn't matter, all of the proof of all of the things going on in China, that certainly doesn't matter. We shouldn't have oversight over that. There's nothing there there because Russia? Because one piece of the puzzle happened to have been fake or at least unverified as of this point in time? The FBI is alleging that this is made-up information, but they don't even know that for, tr for truth or fiction. But if we're to believe the left, we would have to do so. To believe them would then mean we would have to believe what about Hunter Biden's laptop and all of the actual verified evidence by the FBI, by the way, we would have to believe that the FBI and independent forensic analysts are all lying to us. Or that Russia's hacking is so good that they could plant evidence on the laptop of the son of the vice president, then take down the laptop. It needs to go in for repair. Know that Hunter Biden would then bring said laptop in for repair and that he would abandon that laptop at a very specific location that would have the scruples to turn it over to the FBI when they do the backup because it's been too long. They, the levels of detail that this would take doesn't happen in real life, folks. It doesn't. Now, yes, there are very, very detailed things that spies do. But this is leaving way too much to chance. Okay, so we would have to believe that. Or that the FBI is the one line. In which case, then I would ask, why are they charging this guy? Because then they're the ones who are being exposed as liars in court. Again, what's more plausible here? What kind of Tom Clancy world would we be living in if all of that scenario, meaning Russia hacked Hunter Biden's laptop, put all of this crap on there, all of this evidence that then exists elsewhere, right, and other people have the same evidence, just boom, a whole network. Meanwhile, also Russia and China are kissing in a tree, right? But they're planting evidence that Hunter Biden's working with China. Right? Do you see the insanity that you would have to be involved in to come up with that as the answer to this? So, what that means 
is Hunter Biden's laptop is still true evidence. It is still real evidence. There are still real things that took place within Burisma and within Romania and within other places that show evidence of flat-out money laundering, flat-out hiding money that was going to Joe Biden. James Biden is being looked at for real serious criminal, excuse me, real serious criminal charges, folks. For this exact story, for China, for Russia, for Burisma, excuse me, not Russia, Ukraine, Romania, elsewhere, that's still a reality. So no, it's not time to pack up the circus. It's time to say, okay, well, this piece goes to the side and, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't rely on it as a pillar of our case going forward. Jimmy Raskin and the left are being totally dishonest on this. There is no evidence to suggest that Hunter Biden's laptop isn't true. There's no evidence to suggest that Tony Bobolinsky and his evidence isn't true true. There is no evidence to suggest all of the other information is untrue, unless you want to tell us that the FBI is full of liars or that independent forensic analysts are all lying. The hoops you have to jump through to either tell us that or the other setup that this is such a Russian hoax that they literally made up all of the evidence, right? Because that's what you have to tell us, because this is just one of thousands of pieces of bank records, of emails, phone records, travel logs, all sorts of stuff that put it right front and center for us. They act as if this is some sort of smoking gun, when in reality, this is a small, small piece of the puzzle. Now, speaking of small, we have to talk about another story here, and I brought it up up front because Biden bet that the media would tell a lie for him. Now, and it's this lie. We're, we got rid of $1.3 billion of student loan debt. Okay, yeah, you got rid of $1.3 billion of student loan debt. Um, but did they bother to look into it at all? No, they didn't. Because if they did, they would ask... Why? How did we spend $1.6 billion as taxpayers on this? And I posted about this last night on X, and you can see it over there at the Coppin Show. I'll, I'll pin it so that you can see it. But basically it's this. Here's, here's the rub on this entire program. It was called the Saves Program, and you automatically qualified for this. Here are your qualifications for this process, you had to have only taken out a maximum of $12,000 in student loans. You had to have been paying them for a decade. And, and you could not be in default. That's it. Now, we spent one point three billion dollars seems like a really large sum of money and hooray for those people who are clear of their student loan debt right um what if i told you that that went 
that this program, 153,000 people qualified for this program. 153,000. So, I did some mental math yesterday. Let's say you took out the maximum on uh, $12,000, okay? You, 10 years, that's 120 months, right? 12 months times 10, that's 120, which means you would have to pay, on average, $100 a month. If you're paying every single month on your student loan to pay, Pay it off. Let's say it was an average of 3% interest on that loan, right? Over the course of that decade. Your payment would then balloon all the way up to $115 a month. Now, if we do the other side of the equation, we need to know this. This affected 0.06% of the borrower pool. Quite literally, a fart in the wind. It does what? To affect the massive amounts of people who are having crushing student loan debt brought to them by a society that told them at all costs, literally, get a college degree or you won't be successful for 30 years. Now, some of that on the borrower, absolutely, but it's also on our society, unfortunately, because our society told you you can't be successful, and who doesn't want to try to be as successful as possible without that college degree? We have to ask ourselves a lot of questions, but this is going to affect zero or, excuse me, 0.06%. I mean, we're talking about, like, oh, hang on a second, twice the effect of COVID-19 on the young population. Hmm. So, super great, grand, wonderful. This literally does nothing. Yet, the media runs with it as if, if it's the... Greatest thing since sliced bread. Additionally, if you were to take a look at the fact that it's 153 or 158, I can't quite totally remember offhand. I don't have the, the tweet in front of me. In fact, I could just pull it up, I suppose, if I went to uh, x.com and not the tweet, the post. Um, I suppose I could do something about that. <clears throat> so, when I take a look at this, it is 153,000 or 0.06% of all 27 million student loan debt holders in America. Okay. So if said person took out the full 12K, it would take them just 100 months or 8.3 years to have fully paid this off. Because they're saying that they've had to have been paying for a decade. So 
120. That's a hundred months, 8.3 years to have paid this off in full, in its totality. But, folks, here's the rub. The average, according to the release, the average person is getting paid off $8,300. So if you're doing the math at home, that means these 153,000 people have likely paid less than a third or even a quarter so they're likely to have paid roughly 3.7 so $3,700 over the last 10 years folks so let's do the math 3,700 divide that by 10 then divide that by 12 that means they have paid $30.83 a month over the last decade. Now, I don't begrudge anybody the ability to use the system because this is the system that the federal government has set up. This is the ultimate boondoggle for the taxpayer. And nobody but nobody seems to want to question this part of the equation. I'm questioning why the media would pimp for this for Joe Biden, right? I question why they think this is a win for anybody. This does nothing to take off the major debt that we're on the hook for as taxpayers currently, right? Does nothing to do anything for that. It does nothing to help people who have the absolute most crushing debt payments. $30.83 is what they well, are averaging to have been paid, okay? That's the average of what they've paid. They couldn't even afford $50 a month or $100 a month. But you know what? For those of you who decide to do the smart thing by society and get married, try to make yourself successful that way, do you know what happens? Well, guess what, folks? My repayment program on my student loans went from $100 to $900 hundred dollars a month my student loans my wife has no student loans my own why oh because you're married and you file joint taxes would you like to see my w-2 not my wife ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My own. My wife had nothing to do with my student debt in any way, shape, or form. They 9 x what they expect me to pay every month? You think my wife has any responsibility for what I took out in student loans? You're nuts. So again, I don't begrudge any of these people, the 153000 they're getting their, their uh, stuff paid off because they played the game, right? I'm going to pay as little as humanly possible back. Why? Why should I pay more than I need to? And then the government is going to just pay me off. Degree or no degree, by the way. Doesn't matter if you got a degree or didn't get one. You just had to have borrowed at a maximum $12,000, period, amen. You cannot have borrowed any more. You had to have been making payments. And by the way, making payments, what what kind? This is the part of why I brought up the, you had to have been paying $100 a month for, or $120, excuse me, a month over the last 100 months. Or $100 over the last 120 months, which would be 10 years. Instead, most of these people would be paying this off in 8.3 years, just simply paying $100 a month. I don't begrudge anybody who says, well, but the system says I can defer it. The system says I... I, I, I only make this, so I only need to pay you $30 a month. That doesn't even cover, the, cover administrative fees. That doesn't even cover somebody's job to hit a button on a computer to process the payment or to, to implement the system that then automates the processing of the payment, but that person who was hitting that button is still employed. The boondoggle is not for the student loan borrower. The boondoggle is not for anybody other than the American taxpayer. But Andrew, we can write off investment in our future. Okay, the, Okay, let's have that conversation, but that's not the conversation we're having. I don't begrudge them playing the system. I would do the exact same thing thing. I would take advantage of paying as low as I possibly can because in most cases these are either Pell Grants or uh, subsidized loans which have no interest payments on them, right? What about those unsubsidized loans? Again, it could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to 4% and in the grand scheme of all of the loans that you are told that you have to take out as an adult, right? Is this the highest priority on your list? Probably not. Why? Because it's got one of the lowest interest rates, right? That credit card, that buckling, that crushing credit card debt, right? That crushing 20% that you have to pay interest on that credit card, right? 
that that's the one you want to pay off first, right? This goes to the bottom of the pile to pay it off. I can just keep stretching it and stretching it and stretching it as long as I need to. That's nuts, folks. We're the ones, as taxpayers, as the United States of America, the taxpayers, we're the ones being bamboozled, put through the boondoggle of the student loan debt program, not to mention the fact that the vast majority of these people who are taking advantage of this are the ultra-rich, by the way. And why? Because they understand how to use, quote-unquote, free money, a.k.a. government subsidies, right? Why do I have to pay for it when the government will pay for it and then I get to pay it back rent-free? Right, basically? I don't... Why would you not do that if you had the ability to? Instead, we really do need to take a look at need-based. And some of it is, right? That's Pell Grants and other things. But we we have to have a serious conversation about what's going on with this and how are we collecting on the note that we're handing and the promise that we're handing to these people to allow them to get that education. There's a serious, serious problem happening here. And this is insane. The suggestion that anybody can make a $30 a month payment, because that's the reality of where we are. 30 bucks is all that the government was collecting from them every single month. If they were even making monthly payments, by the way, we have no idea what the qualifies as making payments over the last 10 years. Is that every month? Is that you've made a payment once a quarter, uh, you made at least one payment every year over the last 10 years, you didn't take any deferments. No, that's not even part of the requirements either. Uh -huh, okay. Huh. Nobody's asking questions about why Joe Biden chose this group and these people. The why, why this requirement meeting out these individuals. Furthermore, wait a second, didn't the Supreme Court, oh, this is the part I actually enjoy about what Joe Biden is doing. Joe Biden is flipping the double you-know-whats to the Supreme Court who said, you can't do that. Here's the thing that the right needs to learn from the left on this case. The Supreme Court is actually not the end-all, be-all. They're an arbiter of what? Constitutionality. It is on you to act after that. It is on you to say you can't do that to Joe Biden to limit his executive power or to challenge his executive power to put it back into court and say no every single time. Well, you, you're going to look like the bad guy. To 153,000 people in America, are you nuts who have been paying $30 a month? This is the group you're worried about pissing off? Are you serious? Are we serious? We're about as serious as the Democratic Senate candidates debating and all of them saying nuclear power is, is a horrible, no good, very bad thing, and we can't do it, and we're going to decommission the only nuclear plant in a state in which they struggle to provide what? Power and natural resources, water and power to their very own people. What? What? What are we doing? 
we, we can't even figure out that, hey, by the way, the Supreme Court is not the end-all, be-all. We can't even play that game yet. They're over there already jumping over the fence of, of the game. Joe Biden's just saying, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. And he's actually right because the Supreme Court is just a guidepost. It's basically advising and consenting or dissenting and then telling you what you need to do to either rectify the situation in some cases or to not rectify it. It's why I long said that the whole Obamacare thing, when they said that this was legal, doesn't mean you have to implement it. But we on on the right and in libertarian circles have far, far too often said, but the Supreme Court says. Yeah, the Supreme Court said that uh, five of uh, the, the um, three-fifths compromise, right? The Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, you could go down the line of terrible after terrible decisions, and we're just supposed to sit there and take it, right? We're just supposed to do nothing about it. In fact, it was action of Congress alongside Brown versus Board of Education. Brown versus Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas was like, I think, 1958. It took another five, six almost years for the Civil Rights Act to come into place. Think about that, folks. Think about that. They did action, but it took them five years on something as easy as, well, not as easy, but something as straightforward of a decision of the Supreme Court that separate but equal is not a thing in the U.S. Constitution. So you best all be getting rid of your Jim Crow laws. What did the state of Alabama do, right? Say bleep you until the last man standing almost, which is ridiculous, right? Considering what we know about how racist they were. What are we doing as a society? What are we doing? I, I don't know. We need to pay attention. We need to ask critical questions like, why this group? Why not the big kahunas? Right? Why not the people paying $900 a month who can't get out from under that, who can't possibly pay it, period, amen, and then you penalize them for being married, and then you penalize people for having jobs, Oh, by the way, take out all of that debt so that you become a doctor, and then we're going to make sure that we cripple you with all of your doctor fees, all of your uh, you know, malpractice insurance, and then also um, pay back your student loans now. What are we... Folks, come on. The media won't ask these questions. The right... Seemingly in Congress won't touch any of this to reform it, to make changes to it, to fundamentally alter what is not working. Any system that allows for that kind of a repayment plan isn't working. With that, folks, do not forget you still can go over to coffeebrandcoffee.com you can still get 50% off of your first month in their Roaster's Choice uh, program. Every month, a new Roaster's Choice blend coming your way, 50% off of your purchase this first month 
And if you enter the code critical thinking at checkout or critical thinker at checkout, excuse me, you will get 10% off of that purchase. So go purchase coffee, go take a look at it. If you really like fresh roasted coffee and you want to explore different flavors, uh, different origins of coffee, all of that sort of stuff, this is a great place to do it. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code critical thinker at checkout. Make sure you Take advantage of the limited time. I think this ends at the end of the month, so you've got just a few days left. In fact, a week left on the month. Go make it happen. Your first month is twelve fifty. That's what it's going to cost you. That's less than it costs for a regular bag of their coffee. You're getting specialty coffee brand coffee. And then you can cancel at any time. There's no other obligation. So go check it out. Over at coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER so they know that we sent you, and you'll get 10% off of your purchase as well. All of that being said, it is time for us to head into the Federalist Papers number 13 under the microscope. So today we have Federalist number 13, titled Advantage of the Union in Respect to Economy in Government. Hamilton is penning this essay once again, and it might actually be the shortest of the essays that we've been dealing with if you've already read it. If not, well, it's short enough that we've only got three things we need to highlight on it. But in this essay, Hamilton is wanting to point out the need for unity, right? This is all of what the first 14... um, like two through 14 are really all about is then the, the call for national unity, right? But he says here that uh, he wants to point out the need for unity because it would be more economically sound as a nation, as together, than it could possibly be in separate parts. Combining the needs that would necessarily be the same Governmental-wise, right? So we're talking about the different positions, the different needs of government, the money needed to be collected is pretty much going to be the same if you put all the eggs in the basket of each individual state or if you throw it into a combined pot. So why not spread that pot out? That's kind of the theory here. In fact, he says so much in our first slide where he says, as connected with the subject of revenue, we may with propriety consider that of economy. The money saved from one object may be usefully applied to another, and there will still be so much the less, and there will be so much the less to be drawn from the pockets of the people, aka we are going to draw less money than we would if we separated them out. But he continues, if the states are united under one government, there will be but one national civil list to support. If they are divided into several confederacies, there will be as many different national civil lists to be provided for, and each of them, as to the principal departments, coextensive uh, co- with that which would be necessary for government of the whole. So he's not talking about the bureaucracy per se. He's talking about War, the Secretary of War, the Secretary of Treasury, the Secretary of this and that, right? All of these civil places, cabinet positions, if you will, in today's parlance, right? All of those things would have to then go to the state level and you're going to end up paying more because each of them are redundant. But if we could just do it on a national level, don't have them at the state level, boom, 
you've saved the people money, at least in the form of what it would cost them for the execution of government. So, again, Hamilton pointing out, right, that even if it weren't 13 states, and this is key, but what about confederacies, Andrew? He points it out. Three or four confederacies has been talked about, right? A proper government for each one of those confederacies would still require exactly what the Constitution is attempting to do, and he says as much here. The ideas of men who speculate upon the dismemberment of the empire seem generally turned toward three confederacies, one consisting of the four northern, another of the four middle, and a third of the five southern states. There is little probability that there would be a greater number. According to this distribution, each confederacy would comprise an extent of territory larger than that of the kingdom of Great Britain. No well-informed man will suppose that the affairs of such a confederacy can be properly regulated by a government less comprehensive in its organs or institutions than that which has been proposed by the convention. Again, talking about the Constitution's proposal. Do you want four of those, three of those, or one of those? When the dimensions of a state attain to a certain magnitude, it requires the same energy of government and the same forms of administration which are requisite in one of much greater extent. Now, ironically, this is actually one that I think is important for libertarians to think about. Because then I guess my question to Hamilton and his ilk would just simply be this. If you're saying that it is the geographical size or the needs of that geography, why are we not just talking about towns, villages, and cities, and they're left to their own devices. And then we have the major arcing things of national defense, of, of money maybe, right? But everything else is, why do we have to have states? Why? Why would we need that? If you're saying that they're so big geographically that we have to start subdividing or that we have to have a national level and then... We can't have the same administrative. So if we want to shrink the administrative state, in other words, get as small as possible when it comes to our government. Get as close to the people as possible rather than further away. That's pretty much a libertarian viewpoint, right? Now, what evidence does Hamilton give to these ideas? Well, in a following paragraph, he points out the geographical considerations, right, of these states, not just the supposed confederations, then they naturally would need confederacy in order to affirm their own interests in commerce and in other areas. Would New York really be able to cut off New Jersey and avoid war and economic strife, right? Because it, they're literally neighbors and they need each other in order to execute basic functions of government. And so they would have to have some sort of a confederacy in order for both states' interests to align. Neighboring states tend to naturally kind of coexist and have some similarities to them culturally, economically, all that sort of stuff. And that's true today, by the way. But not just civil issues exist as to why national unity is preferable, according to Hamilton, because he points out in the final paragraph of the essay that the short manpower issues that would be better dealt with on a national scale instead of on a state level. So let's take a look at that. He says the following, 
If, in addition to the consideration of a plurality of civil lists, we take into view the number of persons who must necessarily be employed to guard the inland communication between the different confederacies against illicit trade, and who, in time, will infallibly spring up out of the necessities of revenue, and if we also take into view the military establishments, establishments which it has been shown would unavoidably result from the jealousies and conflicts of the several nations into which the states would be divided, we shall clearly discover that a separation would not less injurious to the economy than to the tranquility, commerce, revenue, and liberty of every part. So he's saying, if we divide all the way up, it's going to be less liberty and more war. And nobody wants that. I think this is absolutely one of the key, for me, one of the most important pieces of the puzzle. When they talk about national unity, wait a second, do we want redundancy? And is it more beneficial to the people to pay 13 different ways or four different ways or, or one for all sorts of things that would become redundant the further down you go? Because whether that's town, village, city only, and there's no such thing as a state or a national government, right? Money becomes a very, very intriguing issue to deal with. So does defense. So does offense. So does territorial disputing. So does how do you decide, uh, you know, Chicago versus Naperville, right? Or how do you decide a dispute between Chicago and um, Elmwood Park or Evanston about a boundary line? Where do you go to? They're separate governments, completely separate governments, and there's no national space to go. I think this is actually one of the more important uh, pieces to the puzzle. But with that being said, tomorrow, best and worst takes coming your way. Federalist number 14 will wait until Monday. Uh, probably, um, but we'll see what kind of surprises spring up in between now and then. Until tomorrow, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals, and as always, Matthew 547.